Well, good morning. Can you believe it is the week of Thanksgiving? It is hard to believe, but as we gather here today to worship, um, I just want to read a passage of Scripture from Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9. It says, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And then verse 22 says, Let them sacrifice and sacrifice. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. So every Sunday we gather is an opportunity for us to stop and give praise and worship to our God. But you know, of all the weeks throughout the year, this is a great week for us to intentionally reflect on how good God has been to us because he has blessed us greatly. So I hope that today as we gather to worship, as we prepare our hearts for Thanksgiving this week, that this is a time to give thanks and realize how good God has been to us and to you as an individual. But we do want to welcome you to East Taylorsville Baptist Church. And just a couple of announcements before we begin. Um, Christmas in Teville, as you know, as we've announced, has been going on, and many of you are participating and providing uh, gifts for needy children uh, at Taylorsville Elementary. And if you have already purchased your gifts and would like to bring those, you can bring those early this evening. They will be in our elevator lobby right over here, and you can drop those off. But at the latest, we need all those gifts brought back next Sunday, and you can bring those again to the elevator lobby next Sunday. But again, if you have those already, you can drop those off tonight. And then tonight also, we want to invite everyone to be a part of our shoebox party. We'll be packing over 600 uh, shoeboxes tonight for Operation Christmas Child. And that has been an ongoing process. And again, we want to thank Maria Perdue and Nick for their work organizing that. But if you are going to be here tonight, we encourage you to be next door at our auditorium. Uh, we have everything set up. If you're a parent um, of a cubby tonight, we ask you to stay with your child during that, that time. And then also, um, if you are helping with organizing and, and getting everything set up, be here by 515. That's our students and that's any of our adults that are here to help tonight be here by 515. But everyone's welcome to come over and be a part of that great outreach tonight. But right now we're going to ask everyone to stand. If you're visiting with us, please stop by our guest table at the back. We would love to have a record of your visit. We have a gift for you, but take just a minute and welcome your neighbor to the service.
you as we come to this time of prayer, as we gather around the altar to pray. Uh, I've been asked by the Hodges family for us to remember Elaine Hodges. Last night, uh, Grant texted me around 10, between 10 and 11, and said that they had to take Elaine to Baptist Hospital. They think she may have had a heart attack. She's resting well now. So if you will remember her in prayer. And also, we're about to go into the Lord's Supper here in just a little while. And there's a great warning that comes with this today. Okay? Paul says this, he talks about the importance of the Lord's Supper. He quotes Jesus' words to the church at Corinth. And then he says this, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man, every person, examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. So what Paul would tell us as a church is this. This would be a good time for confession, repentance, and asking God to forgive us. Okay? This will be our invitation this morning, because at the end of my message, we're going straight into the Lord's Supper. And Paul would tell every one of us, examine yourself before you touch that cup or touch that wafer. Because this is a picture of the body's blood of Christ's blood and his body. So as Sharon and the choir leads us in this song, if you'll meet me here at this altar, we'll lift Elaine up in prayer, and then we're going to lift ourselves up in prayer as well. Holy Spirit, During this prayer time right now, if you were to lift Elaine Hodges up in prayer and ask the Lord for healing, pray for Dennis and Grant, the rest of the family as they travel and stay, that the Lord would bless and help them. And then now, as well, pray for yourself. You don't need to pray for your spouse or your children. You need to pray for yourself. And say something like this, Lord, forgive me for. Father, I confess Father, cleanse me before I take of the Lord's Supper. And if your heart is right, the Lord promised He will. And Father, we want to thank You for Your forgiveness, Your cleansing power. Father, how You can take guilt away, grief and sorrow away. Father, I pray that as a church that we would worship during the Lord's Supper. But Lord, we can only do that if our hearts... It's not about being perfect at all. Lord, we're all sinners saved by grace. But Lord, we confess our sins before you today. Lord, we admit we're not committing mistakes. Lord, we commit sins. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us, cleanse us, and we're sorry. Thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus that makes salvation possible. And we'll forever thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Holy Spirit,
Justice approached the bench where I stood condemned and declared me unworthy to be justified. I faced the judge alone. No merit of my own but then I heard a voice testify Yeah. 
Thank you, choir. Was that song not a blessing? Great song, great meaning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to be talking this morning before we go into the Lord's Supper about the Lamb of God. It's amazing how Isaiah, Isaiah is called by most scholars the fifth gospel because Isaiah talks as much about Jesus as any Old Testament book. This was written 700 years before Jesus Christ even walked the earth. So when you find Isaiah 53, if you will, stand with me out of respect for God's word. It's amazing how Isaiah talks about how Jesus looks, how people would reject him, about the crucifixion, about the resurrection, and about how people will be saved afterwards. Notice what the Bible says in verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? Who protested for Jesus? Nobody. And he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Interesting statement there by Isaiah. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, this word that was written, Lord, 700 years before Jesus was even born uh, to, uh, to, to the Virgin Mary. Father, it's amazing. How, how awesome your word is. Father, I pray that we'd never take your, this book for granted. Speak to us today as we worship you through the word, through song, and Lord, through the Lord's Supper. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together. Amen. Thank you. Notice, notice verse, or chapter 52. Notice what he says in verse 13. This is kind of the introduction to verse 53, or chapter 53. Uh, Isaiah speaking, God speaking through Isaiah says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. And what? Literally what God is saying is this, Jesus Christ came as my servant to, for what purpose? To supply my salvation. And then he says this, he says, my servant shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. That word very high is the same words Isaiah used in Isaiah 6 when he said he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And what God is saying through Isaiah is my servant will come and he will be prosperous. He will prosper. And verse 14 tells us this, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. His appearance would be marred more than any man who has ever lived. That means Jesus humbled himself on our behalf. The most cruel and inhumane treatment done to any man was done to Jesus. He was disfigured. He was unrecognizable is what he's saying. And then in verse 15, what did it accomplish? So he shall sprinkle many nations. His blood shall be sprinkled for the nations, not just the Jews. This death that's going to be uh, uh, 
realized in chapter 53, he says this is for the nations. His blood is offered as salvation to all nations. And then at the end of time, the Bible says this, kings will shut their mouths at him. They will, be, they will have no words. Kings will be speechless. They'll be in awe of the majesty, sovereignty, and the sacrifice of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is king of kings and lord of lords. Notice what he says. And they shall shut, shut their mouths at that time for what had not been told whom they shall see. What he's saying is this, their unbelief becomes belief. And they're astonished and amazed. Every lost person will be speechless and silent before the great white throne. Romans 3.19 promises that. Today's the day of salvation. Today. Kings, the mightiest of men at the end of times, will say nothing at the sight of Jesus. You will not state your case at the great white throne judgment. You will be utterly speechless in the presence of holiness and justice. That's the introduction. Notice Isaiah 53. The first thing I see here is that Jesus was scorned or rejected. Notice what verse 1 says. Isaiah is pleading as a preacher. And he says, who has believed our report? He's been preaching. You don't believe it, he says. I've been telling you all this, uh, you don't believe it. And he says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then he talks about Jesus. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, out of dry ground. What grows in dry ground? Nothing but weeds, right? He says, there's a plant that grows up out of dry ground. This is the illusion of Jesus' obscure background. You remember when they said about Jesus being the Messiah, they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, Jesus was so really under privilege for the time. His parents didn't even have enough money to offer a sacrifice in the temple. Stephen Lawson said this, he had no stately majesty, no regal appearance about him. He was not a GQ, GQ cover guy. He was not attractive to the human eye. He was not a celebrity, just an average normal looking person. He had no star power. No one followed him for outward reasons. He had no glamour. Notice, it says here in verse 2, he has no form or comeliness and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. So the people that followed Jesus did it for the right reasons. They were not in awe or infatuated with Jesus like we are today. Verse 3 says this, He is despised and rejected by men. That means he's hated and ridiculed, forsaken by men. No one has been more despised than Jesus. No one. John 1 11 says, And he came to his own, and his own received him not. Jesus said this, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. And when the multitudes did follow him for all the, wrong re all the wrong reasons because he was feeding them and healing them, he started to speak, and guess what happened? A crowd left him. John 6, 6, 6, when it says that Jesus fed to 5,000, maybe close to 20 to 25,000, when he started speaking truth, the, it says the people said, this is a hard saying, or, or basically what they're saying is this, we don't really like what he's saying. And then in John 6, 6, it says, many of his disciples from that point followed him no more. It got so bad, he turned to the twelve and says, do you want to go? If you do, you better leave now. And Peter says, we have nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. So Jesus was scorned and rejected. The second thing I see here is that Jesus was our substitute. Notice verse 4. He says this, surely, what that means in the Hebrew is without a doubt. He has borne our griefs and our sorrows. What that means is this. Jesus bore our sins. And the result of our sins are grief and sorrow. Sin always leads to grief and sorrow and extreme guilt. And you can't get rid of it yourself. You have to give those to Jesus. And it says this. Notice what it says here in verse 4. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. This is what Isaiah is prophesying. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the Jewish people looked at him and said, He deserves this. He's a blasphemer. That's exactly what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying, when this servant dies, 
The people at, at his death will say this. He deserves it. God is punishing him for his own sins. And isn't it amazing how, how Isaiah got that right? It says, we esteemed him stricken. Now notice verse 5. It says, but, but he says, Isaiah says, and he's trying to correct their, their ignorance. He says, but he was wounded or pierced for our transgressions. Isn't it amazing? That several hundred years before crucifixion was even invented, that Isaiah uses crucifixion language, wounded, pierced, before it was even invented, Jesus was, Jesus was pierced, his hands, his side, his head, his feet, all pierced for what? Our transgressions. We looked at this a couple Sunday nights ago. I preached a message called Come and Clean, and I talked about David mentioned sin, transgression, and iniquity. He confessed it all. That word transgression means this. Open rebellion against what God has said. Open rebellion against what God has said. What Isaiah is saying is this. Jesus was pierced for the open rebellion in my life. Because I know what God says and I, I go against it and I commit sin against it. God has a line and I cross the line. Every sin you commit is your fault. It is not a mistake. And if you keep saying it's a mistake, you'll never get complete forgiveness or healing. When David confessed in Psalm 32, he didn't say, I made a mistake with Bathsheba. It was an accident. You don't accidentally commit adultery. You plan it out and you commit it. And what, and what Isaiah is saying is this. God laid on Jesus my open rebellion and my sin that sometimes I don't even confess. He was pierced for that in the side, in the head, in the hands, in the feet. He, he, he was put on the cross for my sin. He was wounded. Then look at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know what the word iniquity means? My moral perversions. Your bad thoughts. Every, every grotesque thing that you've ever done, you've ever watched, or you've ever played over in your mind, they laid it on Jesus. Isn't that amazing? They laid it on him so that you could be forgiven of all that and have your guilt clean and your conscience clean. You can't, you, can't give, you can't get rid of your guilt. You can't give yourself a clean conscience. So what God says is, I'm going to put all that on Jesus, this moral perversion. That's why he says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. Sheep by nature are dumb. Sheep by nature are weak. You know what Isaiah is saying? You can't change your nature. You cannot change your nature. You can't. You cannot. You can be baptized a thousand times, and that will not change your nature. Only Jesus Christ can change your nature. Only He can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Only He can do that. You can reform on the outside. You can stop doing certain things, but you cannot change your nature. All we are like sheep until Jesus Christ changes us. And the only way He does that is when God lays upon Jesus the sins of us all. That's what this is a picture of. October 30th, 1990, I accepted the fact that God placed all my sins, past, present, future, on Jesus. And I placed my faith and trust in that. Notice what, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 15.3. In the great confession on the resurrection. And one of the greatest uh, statements on the gospel. Paul ends up saying this. And he died for our sins. Jesus became our sin bearer, sin bearer our substitute. He died in my place. John 1.29 says he is, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 2.24. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus died for your sins, all your sins, all your open rebellion, all your moral perversions, all those things God placed on Jesus. He is our substitute. And then here's an amazing thing Isaiah mentions. 
The third thing is that Jesus was silent. During his trial, during his walk to Calvary, during his crucifixion on the cross, he was silent unless he was saying things like this, Father, forgive them. Listen to this quotes. When Jesus stood before the religious leaders who were mocking him, some of them spit on him. They took all his clothes off of him and said, do a little dance in front of us. Now, this is God in flesh. They basically had him walk naked in front of a bunch of Roman soldiers. Can you imagine? Put a crown of thorns on him. You know what the Bible says Jesus said? This is what he said. But Jesus kept silent, Matthew 26, 63. Matthew 27, 12. Jesus did not answer. Mark 14, 61. But he kept silent and did not answer. Mark 15, 5. But Jesus made no further answer. Luke 23, 9. But he answered them nothing. John 19, 9. But Jesus gave him no answer. Sometimes you're known by what you don't say than what you do say, right? Peter said this. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, talking about this, this crucifixion, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Think about that for a minute. And then Isaiah mentions this. Look at verse 8. He was taken from prison and judgment. Those are legal terms. What Isaiah is prophesying is this. Jesus is going to have a trial, and he's going to be found guilty even though he's innocent. It's an unjust trial. And he goes on to say this. And who will declare his generation? A better translation says this. And no one protested for Jesus. Even Jesus didn't. Because Jesus was going to do the cross for who? For you. For you. Isn't that amazing? Pilate, when Jesus stood before him after he scourged him, Pilate said this, Do you not realize that I have the authority to let you go or crucify you? Jesus didn't say nothing. And then he kind of eggs him on, and Jesus said this, You don't have any authority unless my Father gives it to you. And then you know what Pilate said? Behold the man. Pilate knew. Jesus was silent. When he could have spoke, he did not speak. Why? Look at verse 9. Or look at verse 8. He was taken from prison, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the living for the transgressions of the people he was stricken. And then the final thing, notice this. The Lord is sovereign. What's he sovereign over? Notice verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked. Notice that for a minute. When a person was crucified as a criminal, the family could not bury their body. They were left on the cross for the birds to eat. Dogs would climb up the cross and start eating their body parts because their body parts would fall off. There was a place called Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. Jesus, it was kind of like the, the, the landfill, if you will. It was always burning. They would take the bodies down off the cross, what was left. They'd leave them hanging as long as they could. You had to pass Calvary to get to the temple. It's amazing that when they were going to Passover, the Passover lamb was dying on the cross, and most people just kept walking by. What they would do is they would take the body of the criminals to disgrace that person further and their entire family, and they would throw them in the, in the county landfill, if you will. Jesus said that's a place where the worm never dies and the fire's never quenched. See, Isaiah says this. That's what was supposed to happen. But, look, and they made his, verse 9, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Isaiah says something happened there. Now, I want to read this quote. Well, John MacArthur, in verse 9, he says, We get past his death. His grave was assigned with wicked men. What does that mean? Criminals were thrown in the valley of Hinnom, which was down the slope on the backside of Jerusalem. The valley of Hinnom is where Gehenna comes from. It was a city dump, and the fires always burned there. And so Jesus uses it as a metaphor for hell, where the fire never goes out, the worm never dies. And the criminals basically were left on the cross. They were left there until carrion birds would tear into them. The animals would climb up the wood and chew on them. They were basically roadkill. 
And that's what would have happened to Jesus. And then after enough desecration was done to frighten all the people who thought they might go against Rome, after they made the point that it's not a good thing to do, they would have taken their bodies down in that condition they were, they were in and thrown them in the, in the dump on the fire. So his grave was assigned with wicked men, wicked men because he died between two thieves, right? He would have gone that way. That's the way it would have went. But something strange happened. He goes on to say this. He was with the rich man in his death. You remember who that was? Joseph of Arimathea, who came and asked for his body and put him in a brand new tomb. 700 years before he ever, he ever showed up, that little detail is recorded here. Why? Why did God do that? Why did it matter? Because Psalm 16, which I preached on many times, says this. That God says that his Holy One would never see corruption. And this was the first step back up. A small step. But I will not allow his body to be desecrated. So the Father works providentially through Joseph. And his body is taken and put into the tomb. Before, 700 years before Jesus comes and dies. God says, my son will not be buried in the county landfill. But God was not only sovereign over his grave. He was sovereign over his death. Notice verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So who killed Jesus? The Romans, yeah. The Jews, yeah. My sins, yeah. But it was God who did it. When Peter preached on Pentecost, he said, This Jesus whom you crucified, he was crucified by the predetermined plan of God. From all eternity, God had planned this. Why? Because of your sins and my sins. Do you see yourself in Isaiah 53? You better because you're the cause of it. Every one of us. We're the cause of it. And then notice the third thing. God is sovereign over the seed of Jesus. Notice what it says here in, the, in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed or his offspring. How can Jesus have a seed or offspring if he never married and was never intimate with a woman? Can't happen. Unless, unless you're the savior of the world. Unless you're God's child. And then what, that, what this verse Isaiah is saying is this. That if you're God's child, that you will see Jesus, and Jesus will see you. Isn't that an amazing thought? He will see his seed, and then notice this. He's, he's sovereign over the resurrection, and he will prolong his days. Jesus died. What Isaiah is saying in Hebrew terminology is that this suffering servant will not only die, but he'll rise from the dead and live forever. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Do you know him? You can the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For the Christian, Jesus said this over and over again in the New Testament. Do not forget what I have done for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We have two elements here. We have bread, a little wafer. There's nothing, there's nothing magic about it. This wafer is not going to save you. We're not Catholics. all right. This is a wafer. This is a picture of Jesus's body that was so disfigured the bible says that he was barely recognizable as a human okay the great sacrifice one of the cruelest deaths ever imaginable jesus was 10 times worth because he bore my sin and god's wrath on the cross he died nude in front of his mama for your sins think about it that way and who was at the cross one disciple and then this little cup of grape juice we're baptist all right is a picture of his blood without the, every time i take that cup i think of this Without the shedding of blood, there's absolutely no forgiveness of sins. Had to be done. This is a representation of Jamie Steele's moral perversions, my transgressions, my sin that has been completely forgiven, past, present, and future. So I don't know what this means. This is no mere formality for me. This is an act of worship. When I eat this bread, 
I'm thinking of the great sacrifice my Savior made. And one day I'll see him, and you'll see the scars. Okay? And this shed blood is eternally cleansing my soul. Aren't you thankful for that? The only hope I have for salvation is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if you're trusting in anything else other than that, you cannot be born again. Jesus is your only hope. Aren't you thankful for him? Let's pray together and then we'll worship through the Lord's Supper today. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. We want to thank you, Jesus. Thank you for Isaiah 53. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. I'm reminded that this table here today, Lord, is because of my sin. But Lord, you had a plan before eternity that you loved. Lord, if you would bruise your son and crucify your son, how much does that mean you love me? It's an amazing thought. Father, I pray that we'd never leave here thinking we're unloved. Lord, it pleased you to crucify your son, that by perhaps chance we might be born again. Father, I pray that we'd never take our salvation for granted. Lord, you're so worthy of praise, service, obedience. Lord, you're worthy of our worship. And I pray that we'd worship you today through this uh, Lord's Supper time. In Jesus' name I pray. And once again, all of God's people said together. Amen. I'd ask that you show reverence here at this time. Also, do not get up and go to the restrooms. And I'll thank our deacons for serving today. Jesus gave us two elements that I've talked about. We have the cup and we have the bread. And the first one that we'll worship the Lord through is the bread.
The Bible says Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat it. And as often as you do, remember me. And I'm going to ask Mark, before we take uh, eat together, to thank God for the body of Jesus. Let's pray. And Father, we want to bow before you and thank you for giving your life, that we can be forgiven. And Father, we're no longer condemned. We're free in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for the freedom, the forgiveness, and the liberty we have. 
But Father, we thank you for the great sacrifice that we might experience your love, your forgiveness this day. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. The Bible says they ate together. The next element we have is the cup.
The Bible says, in the same way he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to the disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This cup is a new covenant poured out for you and for many. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And I'm going to ask Chris Russell, our chairman of the deacons, to thank the Lord for his blood. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, God, for this opportunity, Lord, to, to thank you. Father, to give thanks for how you so richly bless us, Lord, but especially, Lord, for your blood. And uh, we know where we would be without it, God, without the blood, there'd be no salvation. Lord, we thank you for that today, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. The Bible says they drank together.
And one of the last things the disciples did together before they left that upper room was they sang a hymn together. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing the first and last verse of Amazing Grace, and then we'll be dismissed. mentioned uh, Sharon and Ann Deal. They come in and, and prepare the Lord's Supper. That takes a tremendous amount of time. And I just want to thank them so much for that. I want to thank our deacons. I'm honored to serve with you and I'm honored to serve you the Lord's Supper. So love you guys. Just want to remind you tonight, shoebox party. Uh, we're trying to do 600 shoeboxes. So if you can be here tonight to help with that, please be here tonight. God bless you. Hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. Hope to see you back here tonight as we worship together. Thank you. You're dismissed.